Hi there. Welcome to another episode of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship guide and mentor, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. Brought to you in part by the Cancer Resource Center of the Finger Lakes, right here in Ithaca, New York. Learn more at crcfl.net, because no one should face cancer alone. To learn more about this show and my services, please go to bertscholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at But Seriously The Cancer Podcast and on Twitter at But Seriously TCP. And check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash But Seriously The Cancer Podcast. And thank you so much for all you do. lying lying around like like a like death warmed over and not sure I could make it through another round saying those words out loud to my husband I don't think I can do it again I don't think I can do it again and then when I would be left alone to just lie there I would thank God for the space that I was in I would thank God for the circumstance I was going through and I mean, I would just actively pray gratitude. I I read somewhere that your brain doesn't know the difference between the truth and a lie. Hmm. So if you were to say, I feel terrific a hundred times, eventually the chemicals in your body are going to kick in and go, yep, we feel terrific. (laughs) <laughs> you know, your dopamine, your serotonin, whatever, yeah. you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like I do. Yeah. People say, you know, when you keep them, if a mantra has, you know, I'm not going to be X, I'm not going to be Y. Like the mind doesn't know the not, not going to be, it just goes with what you say. You know, that's what people say. So, and, and, and that is similar to what you're saying where it's just like, yeah, you know, the, just tell the mind. So I have a fantastic story about that. Um, because it's got me, it's got me, um, you know, all of, all of this, this whole journey has got me thinking about what I say, what I think and, and what I'm putting out into the world and the ripple effect of that. So we are a crazy movie quoting family, right? We, Hmm. we speak fluent movie quotes, right? So my mother-in-law and I had this little thing that we would do all the time and we would quote kindergarten cop. So whenever I was being over the top dramatic or passionate about something, she would say, it's not a tuma. And I would say it and we would laugh about it. Well, if the universe doesn't hear the not, what did I say for years and years and years and years and years and years? I said, it's a tumor. And it was twice. I mean, I'm not saying that I gave myself cancer, but I can't make that up. I can't make that up. That happened. (laughs) It just Mm. made me take a little, a little moment of pause to think about what I'm saying, what I'm thinking. Yeah. For you, for me, it's it provided you uh, it had you give attention to your to your speaking to your thinking. Yeah, I mean, and be I, mindful of what you put out. 
I'm, I, I, I'm, I've always been a really passionate person. I've always, I've heard variations of Carol, think before you speak all of my life. Right. So I would just, you know, I would think in it, it would come right out my mouth. And so it's not a bad thing that I, that I found a reason to learn to pause a reason to learn to think it through just a little bit and be a little more intentional with my thoughts, my words, my actions. So. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, so that's the positive stuff, but you said your book is called chemo pissed you off. Yeah. Chemo pissed so me off. Aside good. from me just saying what, you know, what pissed you off about chemo. Mm -hmm. Will you tell everyone? Yeah. You said you're a writer, so like, and you've always been one, and so that's you know when I say why did you write a you know what had you write this book? Well, you're yes, you're a writer, but what had you choose this topic? What had yeah, you write it, this book? Chemo no, pissed that's, me off. That's fair. I mean, I there it pissed me off, and there's a lot of a lot of stuff about it that that pissed me off. I mean, let's just and I tend to kind of. I tend to be kind of like sarcastic. I tend to use humor as a defense mechanism. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just throw a little bit of a funny out there before I, you know, maybe get into the, the nitty gritty of feeling like, you know, I got hit by a truck. Even the fact that they call chemo infusions pisses me off. Okay. Because, you know, infusion used to be like, like tea and like, you know, fruits and things all infused together for this delightful, wonderful thing. And they didn't always call it infusion. Now they call them infusion centers instead of, you know, chemo centers or whatever. And, and I just find it disingenuous. It's, I just, you can call it all the fancy stuff you want. You can give us all the warm blankets and all of the, you know, all the, the cheery bells and whistles. It doesn't change what it is. It doesn't change that you're just putting something so incredibly toxic into our veins that you've got to wear a freaking biohazard suit to put it in our veins. Okay. So I just, anyway, I mean, I didn't, that pissed I, I, you off. I didn't rant through the whole book. I promise. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I, I just, I find that I find it appalling the sheer amount of medication they have to give me to keep me alive just to, just to get my body to support chemo. You know, like the, like the new last of shots that they've got to give you 24 hours after to, to build your, your white blood cells in your bone marrow, which is extremely excruciatingly painful for anyone who doesn't know. You know, I only found out after I did new Lasta. Every time after my 13 chemo treatments that uh, they give people Claritin D mm -hmm. and it makes the new Lasta much more tolerable. They didn't I, have that when I was doing it. Oh, no, I do. I, I, I actually take that anyway for just allergies. I take it every mm. day. Well, then they had me taking it twice a day. So, um, but yeah, I just, it, and I, it, when you say it makes it tolerable, I don't know about that because it was still... Well, apparently for some folks, it really made a difference. Yeah. I was in pain and they, my docs gave me uh, Percocet mm. and I would get chemo on Wednesday and get sent home with the pump and come and get it disconnected on Friday and they weren't there on Saturday. So they gave me my Nolasta shot on Friday before I left. And then I take Percocet on Saturday and my son's mom would drop him off. He was like five 
and I'm, you know, so dopey on Percocet. I'm like, okay, this, I can't ever do this again. And plus, I don't like being wasted, you know. Right. I don't like being stoned. Right. I, uh, I had a, you know, in another lifetime, 25 years ago, I loved being stoned. <laughs> so I could be on Percocet and, and, and function, you know, but it just, it just, but it was just like, it felt like I was carrying around like, you know, a 50 pound blanket all the time. Yeah. Yep. It was, it was brutal. And so I stopped taking it. So I just went through the pain. Yeah. I don't, I don't do well on, on most medications anyway. I actually I mean, used, yeah, I actually a, used medical marijuana. Is that helped me deal with the pain? Well, it wasn't medical because we didn't have it in this state back then. But yeah, I have I vaped marijuana, so I wouldn't have to smoke it, and that was really helpful. in uh, when it came to dealing with all that chemo and new last it did to me. That's awesome. I mean, it's there. That's didn't take the, the pain away. It just made me relaxed to, about the yeah, band. <laughs> that's what I was going to say, able to tolerate it more. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome because see, that's what I think. I think that there are, there are undeniable healing properties of things like cannabis. And I have actually, I, I learned how through a friend of mine, I learned how to make a pain balm out of, out of cannabis with, I mean, just a whole bunch of herbs and different things in it. And, um, really cool experience. I'm not really like, you know, a flower child or anything like that. So for me, this was totally new. I don't, I don't usually do stuff like that, but man, I just love this stuff. And I mean, Mm. it makes, it's, it's just so moisturizing to your skin, like on top of just taking away your aches and pains. Like it's not full of all the chemicals and crap for like the stuff you were, you can buy in the store. It's just all super good ingredients. And so super happy. I learned how to make that. And it definitely helps with, with body aches because you know, the, the cancer comes with some body aches. Cancer treatment comes with some body aches. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So no, I mean, I, again, super fortunate. I only had four, four treatments, you know, um, but I also was doing what's called a cold cap. I don't know if you've ever heard of the cold caps, but I've heard about the cold caps. They didn't have them and nor would I want one. I was happy being bald. Sure. You're a guy. It's different for you. My eyebrows and and, and beard. I had a beard. I had a a goatee, a beard back then. So like I just had eyebrows, beard and a bald head. So like it worked out real well for me. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I've had long hair all my life and I have a lot of hair. And so to even imagine myself bald when I wasn't even someone who'd really ever had short hair was horrifying to me, absolutely horrifying. And the cold cap is very time consuming. It's, it is a, it is one hell of a commitment to hair. I'll just say that it is unbelievably time intensive and just. Tell me all about it. I don't know a thing about it. Tell me. Okay. Well, let's see. First of all, it's very expensive and insurance does not cover it. I hope to see that change someday, the way that they now, insurance will now cover reconstructive surgery for women who lose their breast due to cancer. So I would love to see that change because hair is a big deal to women. Okay. So there's that aspect. So it's extremely expensive. Insurance does not cover it. Second of all, it's, um, you have this, this laundry list of, of things that you can do and not do while you're going through the whole however long months of treatment. You can only wash your hair once a week. You can't ever brush or comb it. You um, you have to use like a shampoo that is free of, you know, dyes, perfumes, parabens, blah, 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 right? Just, uh, uh, and you... Um, Stuff I hope you're washing your hair with anyway. 
Right. I mean, right. And, and, you know, just the way, like no, no, um, putting your hair up in like a ponytail or anything that, that will pull on your hair. And so, so the, the reason you lose your hair is because chemo heats up your hair follicles and causes your hair to fall out. So the cold cap essentially is trying to keep your hair follicles cool to keep your hair in your head. Right. So you put this cap on and it essentially gives you brain freeze for the entirety of your infusion. And then you have to sit there for hours afterwards while they slowly bring the temperature of your head and hair back to normal because it mm. really freezes it. Your hair could break off as if, like, say, it got frozen in the snow or something. So, so you're not just, like, bringing ice packs and putting them on your head. This mm-hmm. is, like, a medically managed... Yes. There are a couple of different kinds. Treatment. Yes. but wow. but So the one I used was... Um, it was called Dignicap, and you you put your little space hat on, and you know it, it has all these little tubes in it, and then they hook you up to these hoses. So there's hoses attached to your hat, your cap, and those hoses run to the machine, and they turn the machine on like a half hour before you start your infusions to get your head to the appropriate degree of coldness. And then they inject you with your your chemo treatments, and then. Uh, and you're freezing your the cold water's running through your head the whole time so they give you lots of warm blankets and it you can even get headaches from it it's basically like having brain freeze for the entirety of your I was going to ask you how uncomfortable it's, is it it's, having freezing it's cold head extremely uncomfortable it's like wearing i mean it's it's like wearing earmuffs and a um and a beanie and a hat on top of that for that long not to mention the coldness and um, depending on your type of chemo that you're getting, there are certain times set already for how long you'll have to defrost, for lack of a better term. Well, mine was the harshest for hair. So my cooling time was three hours. So I would sit there with that thing on my head for three hours after chemo finished, waiting for my hair and head to go back to a normal degree. Yeah, like I said. Does it help with eyebrows? Um, I actually kept my eyebrows and my eyelashes all through chemo. And then about two weeks after I finished, maybe, yeah, two weeks after I finished, I forgot to be careful washing my face, and they all fell out. So mm, okay, so it does it does help with eyebrows and eyelashes as well. It's keeping the whole head area cool. I don't think I don't think so. They they told me mm. several times, just remember you might still lose your eyebrows and eyelashes because it's not over your face. It's just your head. Wow. So I'm having a hard time imagining. I well, wish I could show you a picture. I've got. I'm having, no, I'm having a hard time imagining. I'm having a hard time imagining doing it. Oh yeah, it's, and I'm a guy, and we have pre- cultural pressures to do be certain ways and do certain things that I imagine I'd probably be happy to step into, if it was as uh, significant, if it had as much weight as a woman not having hair has. So and, I don't want to, you know, I'm not saying it like I can't imagine doing it like, and therefore no one should. I'm just like, wow, I, I, mean, I just can't imagine going through that to keep my hair. Right. And, it's no joke. It's, it's I believe you. It, I, I feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like it's, it's, it's a little extreme and it's a little nuts. And, you know, there were, there were a few times in the middle where I even just said to my husband, because I'll, I'll tell you why I said this, but I said, maybe I should just give up. And he's like, ah, you know, we're halfway through just keep going, which is huge for him because he's a super frugal guy. And like I said, it's extremely expensive. So um, because the the deal with cold caps 
is they say that you can keep between between 50 and 65% of your hair. Okay, so they half your hair. And I have, like I said, I have very thick hair. I have a lot of hair. So I thought, okay, I'm just gonna look like someone who has really thin hair for a while. I can do that. And then I won't look sick because the big thing for me was that I didn't have cancer. They got it all. And so I was having to have all these treatments because of some percentage on some test. And I, I definitely didn't wanna look like I had cancer because I didn't have cancer. <laughs> so anyway, it doesn't... It, wait, wait, hold up. Go ahead. You didn't want to look like you had cancer because you didn't have cancer? Yeah, because, you know, when people are getting those treatments, they look pretty damn sick. You know... You the, did have cancer. The surgery took it all away. I was cancer-free after the surgery. But the gotcha. Path, okay. You, you see what I'm saying? So that was my train of thought. Like, my train of thought is, why do I need chemo, first of all, because I don't have cancer anymore? Why do I need radiation if you got it all? Like, and so... When, when I finally came around to, okay, now I'm gonna get chemo, now I'm gonna get radiation, it was like, how do I not look like a cancer patient? Because damn it, I'm not one. You know, it was just this weird process I had to go through. I don't, I don't know why. It's just how I, I, no, I yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Anyway, so, so back to this cold cap. The thing about this 50, 50 to 65% of the hair that you keep Apparently the cold cap doesn't care where it takes the 50% because I lost all of my 50% on the top of my head. So I kept 50% of my hair, sure, but I looked like a 70s rocker now holding on to my glory days, you know? I I just... I just, yeah. You look like bald on top and long around the side. You look like a monk. Yeah, yeah. And then when it started growing out, I had a mullet. It was fantastic. And, you know, the mullets were trying to make a comeback here recently. So I blended, but not in Mm, a good way. It was just, it was, it was not a good look. So the cool thing was, is when I, when I would wear a ball cap or something like that, I would have some hair kind of curling out from underneath and it would look kind of cute and I wouldn't just scream cancer patient everywhere I went, which for whatever reason was super important to me. Um, I think it might still be, I I asked myself if I were going to go through it again, I I, I still would not want to be bald. I don't know if I would do the cold cap again because holy crap, that was just a lot. It was, like I said, it was a serious freaking commitment to hair, but still the thought of being bald for a very long time, kind of flips me out and I don't even Carol, know why I am so grateful that I didn't lose my eyebrows yeah because I looked normal yes and I liked that yes that's what I'm saying thank 100%. you 100% thank you I wear that. you're welcome I mean when I'm I'm installing a uh, patio in a wall right now a wall that sounds so random just I'm installing a patio and all the things that go with it yeah and uh I'm on the job site and I have no shirt on today and my pouch is just hanging off my abdomen and I don't care if you'll see my pouch. There were guys doing some painting in a different building and there I am walking by with my pouch hanging out and I don't care. It's, you know, it, and it didn't start out that way. Wow. But here's the thing. What I don't like doing, what I'm less comfortable doing is going to the store and having something protruding out of my abdomen. So I tend to wear button down shirts so it's not as obvious. Yeah. 
because I want to redo. I don't want people to look at me and wonder what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. Now, a uh, point for social media. You know, I follow a lot of people who have had cancer or wear pouches, and I'm noticing how free they are and how they don't hide it in in areas where I do. Like mm. the grocery store, I wouldn't want it flapping around. Mm. And then maybe there's no reason for it to be flapping around the grocery store, but it's like it's this, this you know, there's a certain amount of wanting to, you know, keep things a certain way. And these people have inspired me on social media to care even less. Yeah. And so like now I'll go to the store and I'll have a tank top on like I do now that's not as you know, it doesn't hang so loosely. It doesn't hang in just, it hangs in such a way that you can kind of see there's something on the left side of my abdomen kind of poking out. Yeah. And I finally said to myself, like, yes, you have a human body and it's flawed. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I'm talking about. That shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, I told you recovering perfectionist, right? So yeah. there, I mean, right now my plastic boobs that are supposed to be a matching set are very asymmetrical because of that lymphedema and the swelling and the tightening that's happening. Oh. And not to mention, you can see that there's a little bit of a bump above my boob where it shouldn't be. So I have started wearing like baggier shirts, maybe so it's not quite as noticeable, things like that. Um, but I'm getting a little more comfortable with just going, this might just be the way I'm going to look. I'm going to keep trying to flush that fluid less from a cosmetic yeah. standpoint and more from a getting the toxic fluid flowing through sure. my body as it should. Yeah. Right. But I mean, <laughs> this is just a really weird thing, but I have, um, I, I'm not a big person. I'm, I'm relatively healthy, but I have lots of cellulite on my thighs that I've always been super self-conscious about no matter what size I am, how small mm -hmm. or whatever. And I just don't care anymore. <laughs> Wonderful. It's oh, 104 so outside. And I just put the short shorts on, not, not, short shorts, but I'm not wearing like long Bermuda shorts. I'm just wearing normal shorts and dimples be damned. And it's they're not hide the cellulite shorts. They're not hide the cellulite shorts. And I don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> yeah, this is my body yeah. in the grand scheme of things, you know, mm -hmm. I, had a I have, yeah, no, I've been like that my whole life. I've, I have skinny legs. I'm a small person and I have skinny thighs and like, I have kept them hidden for years until mm -hmm. finally I was like, dude, what do you, I mean, I, I prefer shorts that hang kind of, I don't like short shorts. I like loose baggy clothes, but when my skinny ass thighs are showing, I'm like, whatever, dude, like my God, you're 51 years old. Like when are you going to stop having an argument with your body? Either go to the gym and do all kinds of squats and, and make your legs bigger, which you obviously haven't done in the last 51 years. Well, yeah. I did it once or twice, but, <laughs> or just like, let go, man. And just be, yeah, yeah for sure. So good so for you. That's, that's the, that's the perspective shift that I'm digging that I, that think, in the book. Yeah. Uh, nope. The cellulite story isn't in the book, but you know, some, some, because that happened after the book got published really, because the book right. got published in yeah. like, like the winter time. Well, no, it got published in March. So I you wrote, wrote it. I wrote it through winter time. Yeah. So and you had this awareness arise more recently. Yeah. With, with congratulations. The Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah. Wonderful. Tell everybody what you love about your book. Mm. Cause well, we got the, we got a little bit of a rant. You said it's not all a rant. So yeah. what do you love about it? What, what had you? you know? Um, 
I, I, well, I love that it exists really, because I just, um, you know, it's not, it's not this thing that, that I'm, I'm dreaming about being like this bestseller, making me millions of dollars. It's, it's really about helping the next guy. It's really about helping the me that I was when I got the news and Mm -hmm. like, like the one small pebble tossed into the pond and the ripple effect of that. It's, I kind of liken it to planning a wedding, you know, with the grace of God, you, you do that one time, but you Mm -hmm. gain so much knowledge in that process that what do you do with all that knowledge? Hopefully you pass it along to somebody. That's how I feel about this book. With the grace of God, I will never be here again facing cancer and cancer treatment. But what do I do with all that knowledge? What do I do with all of those things I learned? That's why I wrote the book. That's beautiful. And that's what I love about it. I love that that there's stuff in there that helped me through it that might help the next guy. I can edit this question out if you don't have an answer for it, but is there a part of the book you'd like to read? Is there any excerpts you'd like to share? I I do have a favorite part. (laughs) Because I want you to know, like, you know, I didn't like dive right into your book. I've been curious all about it. But like I told you before we started, like, I want to know you. I just want to talk with you. I I just want to get to know you. I'm just like, like I said, I use humor a lot. And so there's, there's some funny stuff in there. I mean, I I like to think I'm funny. I don't know if I am, but um, (laughs) I mean, I like, I like to think I am. So, you know, but there was, there was this story and I can just paraphrase it for you, but um, it's when, it's when I was in getting a consultation with the very first radiologist. And during that consultation, I got a call from the general surgeon's office that the pathology came back high risk because at first they were just hoping that maybe I would just get some radiation just as an insurance policy. Well, when the high percentage came back on the pathology, she was like, Carol, we need you to get chemo and radiation and all of it. So I go back into the radiologist and say, this is what they said. He goes, well, the oncologist is here in the hospital. Let me go grab him and you can consult with him. So I go back out into the waiting room and, and it's, it, it starts before that, because when I walk in for this consultation, no one seems to get the memo that this is a consultation. They start handing me packets and, and books and stuff like I was moving in. Here's your parking pass that you're going to need when you come here every day. Here's your patient file. And then all these little sweet ladies with their smiling faces were coming over and patting me and chatting me up and handing me recipes on cancer and how chemo works and how radiation works. And, and I'm looking at these people like, who's coming here every day? Like, did anyone get the memo that this is a consultation? Like the conveyor belt vibe just disturbed me. Right. So then I go into the radiologist and he's like much cooler than this whole used car salesman thing that that was out in the lobby. He's soft-spoken. He has a kind face. And then, you know, then we get the pathology news and he sends me back out into the waiting room to wait for the oncologist. This is the oncologist that I saw 10 years ago who has, who has honed his craft since then. Mm. He, as I'm sitting there waiting for him, this is, this is right around Christmas time. All of these people start filing into the waiting room and they're dressed very festively. And they're just, I mean, they are packing into this waiting room, right? I mean, it's to the point where I am staring into the pocket of stranger ass 
it's right, I mean, it's just right there. And then these people start singing Christmas carols. And I'm like, I mean, I'm a deer in the headlights. I just heard the news, right? And, and, and let me just say that I love Christmas carols and I am a Christmas carol. I was born on New Year's Eve. I was appropriately named, but dude, know your audience, man. Like what the hell? Like, seriously, like I was floored. I literally was like waiting for somebody to jump out of like a garbage can and go, just kidding, you're on candid camera because it just was right. so surreal. And I know that there's probably people in there that were loving it and needed all that holiday cheer and all of that. But there had to be more people in there like me that were just hearing this news for the first time and didn't need more noise in their head. Like, seriously. So that was just a shit show. Like I was, I could not even, I was like, where am I? Then the oncologist, he comes into the lobby like he's on a red carpet. He is waving to the nurses. He's pointing at people. He's smiling. He's, hi. He points his finger at me like, you know, it was almost like a thumbs up wink kind of thing. He's like, come on in. He's like, oh, hey, to somebody else. You coming to the luncheon today? We're, it, it, I'm going to be there. Are you going to be there? And then he turns to me, hey, we're having a luncheon. You should come. It's for patients. We're going to have a great time. And I'm like, what? I've just been diagnosed with cancer. I couldn't eat if I tried right now. Shut up. Just stop talking about food. Stop inviting me to social engagements. Just shut up. Like what? Like know your audience. So that's one of my favorite stories because I just, I still can't believe it. You hear me getting fired up as I'm telling it to you because I still can't believe that it actually happened. I just, I kept. No, I, I get it. When I was around other cancer survivors, like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm like, it is not nice to meet anybody right now. I'm not happy to see you. I'm, I, I, I don't want to be part of your damn group. And now I got stuck with your stupid group and yeah. I don't want to be with all of you and yeah. screw you and all your <laughs> stupid happiness. Amen, brother. So this yeah. is why I don't join cancer groups because I seriously, I mean, I have joined a few, um, in, in support of, of fellow thrivers, as they like to call themselves, um, and, and I find them to be super uplifting. So maybe I'm a little choosy, picky and choosy about what I join because I'm seriously not down to sit around and, and talk about cancer all day and boohoo and this and that. I am willing to give back and help the next guy and, and have other people benefit from my shit show because why did I go through all of this if I can't help the next guy? You know, so that's different. But as far as just sitting around in a support group and, and like, commiserating on the shittiness of cancer, that's just going to depress me. I don't want to do that. Yeah, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. I've been in support groups and gotten a ton out of it, you know, just by, it, it, it provided a lot. But when I first was diagnosed, like I get like the conveyor belt used car salesman vibe. It's like, yeah. they're so familiar and this is what they do all day long. So when you show up, they give you all the materials. And yeah. it's like with a car salesman, it's like, you seem so relaxed and casual about this. Something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Right. I yeah. bought my I bought my car last year. Uh, for, I drove up uh, to my hometown and bought it from a guy I'm friends with because he works at the dealership. And I wanted to buy it for my friend. And I still had that vibe going on in my mind, like those that thinking like. 
is he giving me a deal or, you know, <laughs> uh, you know just like it, it yeah. oh my God, it's crazy. I called a buddy of mine who buys and sells cars for a living. And, you know, basically his question is, you think you paid a good price? I go, yeah. He goes, do you like the car? I go, yeah. He goes, then you're fine. <laughs> that sounds like my husband. That exactly sounds like my husband. He's like, you know, if, if you feel like what you paid for it is good, like if you were willing to pay that for whatever you got, then you're fine. I'm what like, do you care? All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, but what if I didn't? It's like, no, you're happy. So leave it alone. But when when you first walk into the doctor's office and you meet all the staff and they give you the arm, the live strong book. And, you know, it's like you know, four inches thick. It's like <laughs> I still never haven't read the damn thing. Um, they're so comfortable and so familiar and mm-hmm. going through it like it's just like. You know, it's nothing, not that it's yeah. nothing, but they're going through no. it with, with, with familiarity. Yes. And ease. Yes. And I'm re- I was resisting that because I'm like, mm-hmm. I have no familiarity here. There's yeah. no ease. Yes. I, before I had to have radiation, I was in a, I was in a wheelchair. You know, threw me in a wheelchair because I was in the hospital. So it's, and I'm like, you know, I need to go to radiology because you needed a CT scan. Yeah. So the guy brought me to the radiation department where they're giving people radiation. I felt like I was in the most horrific part of the hospital possible. Yeah. I think I got mad. I go, I go, no, no, not here, dude. I'm just going to get, I need a, I need a CT scan of radiology. He goes like, oh, sorry. You know, he doesn't know. And I'm here, like have this huge emotional response. Like, I'm like, I am not comfortable. I'm not familiar. I don't want to be one of the fellas right now. I don't want to be around any of you. And they were being kind and supportive and inviting sure. you to go do this. And what you're saying is like, you know, they didn't catch on. Like you said, like, you know, n- know your audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> These folks. I mean, the same thing happened with radiation for me too. I was still, I mean, even though I, I had gone through chemo, I was told that I needed radiation and that was the next step. I still was looking for somebody to tell me that I didn't need radiation. I really, really just just Mm -hmm. tried to get out of it without completely ignoring medical advice. So, you know, again, I experienced a little bit of that, you know, they, they bring you into this room and there's, it's kind of dark and there's all these people and they start introducing you to everyone. And then they, they strip you down from your waist for, for me because you know, boobs. And, um, they have me laying on the table and you have to hold your arms up over your head. So you're completely exposed. You're feeling very vulnerable. They tell you don't move because they're doing this simulation of how, you know, they're mapping out basically how they're going to shoot the radiation in your body and they, they need you still. Right. So that it's, it's a process. I don't have to go into all that for people, but, um, you know, at one point is they're just going about their business. Like this is no big deal. And I am flipped. One of the techs sees a tear rolling out of the side of my face and down into my ear. And he's like, Oh, Oh, and he runs over and he grabs a Kleenex and he shoves a Kleenex into my hand to wipe my tears. Well, since I can't move my hands, that didn't really do me any good, but he got points for trying because he noticed, you know, but, but that's my point. I'm living my, my worst case scenario. And these people are just having a Tuesday and it just would be cool if sometimes they would realize that what they do every day on autopilot is not what we do every day. On autopilot. Right. And we're not there for a while. It takes a little while before we finally feel comfortable and we start waving to folks and say, Hey, how you doing? And right. nice to see you. Right. It's uh we gotta ease ourselves into it. The yeah. water's cold and you can't just jump in without having a heart attack. For sure, for sure. So mm. yeah. That that those are probably 
some of my favorite parts of the book. You know, the second half of my book is kind of like autobiographical, if you will, because it talks about how did I get here? You know, that I, 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 hmm. It took a little more than some extra hormones in my body to get me there twice. So it had me, you know, had me asking harder questions, trying to get to the bottom of stuff, you know, trying to really, really, truly get over my crap, get over my baggage and, and, and authentically live my best life. Not, Mm. not the social media highlight reel of my life's fantastic, but to actually feel that in my bones and truly be living my best life, not a perfect life, not a life without pain or, or moments of getting pissed off or moments of getting worried, but basically being able to stop yourself in your tracks and ask, is this serving me? Or even sometimes I'm all fired up about this. Can I flash forward to the funeral? And does this even rate? And if it doesn't, then knock it off. Does it rate? What do you mean? Does it rate as one of the big moments of your life? Does it rate the fit that you're having over it right now? Does it rate on the scale of life moments at your funeral when you're looking back? You know, so because because we because we get tunnel vision, we all do. Okay, everything's relative, right? So what can piss us off would not even be a blip on someone else's radar. So for me, because I've lived a life of essentially being pissed off half the time, when I have those moments of getting fired up about something. I ask myself, how does it rate? Is it, is it a big moment or is it a small moment? And in the grand scheme of things, if it's a small moment, then step outside of yourself and knock it off. Change your perspective. Flip the switch. So it sounds like you're looking at where in your life you can do what you need to do to stay healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Right. I mean, so I, again, I talk about my faith. I, I believe. And, and like, in you know, keeping yourself, if I could actually chime in on one more, I'm going to say it a little differently. Um, thank you for letting me interrupt. Yeah. Sounds like you looked at your cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. and you thought to yourself, okay, what might I have done that led to this? so that I might live differently so it doesn't happen again. Do I know I brought this to my life? Nope. But if it's possible that I could, what can I do differently so that I don't bring it to my life? And then from living inside of that context, you start then thinking to yourself, okay, is this going to make any difference once it's time for my funeral? Is this going to be one of the highlights of my life or am I wasting my energy? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what right I'm talking on. about. So, so, and, and even, even further, not even, so not even that the focal point is what can I do to hopefully, if I brought this on myself, what can I do differently to never be there again? It's, it's, it's even more than it's, it's what you basically said. It's the, it's the not wasting my moments because of where I've been, not whether having a fit about something or being pissed off or being worried or stressed is going to cause cancer again, but because we're not guaranteed anything, is this how I want to be living in this moment? And when I'm at the end of my life and I'm looking back, 
was this moment big enough for the fit, for the worry, for the whatever? That's kind of, you know, I mean, gosh, when I talk, when I say that, I don't know if I even said this to you, maybe I just think it a lot because it's just incredulous to me that how often I hear of it. But literally in the last month, I've heard of three people that I know getting diagnosed with breast cancer, one of which was a man who is a surgeon, who is a pillar of help, who is a happy-go-lucky guy, who has no genetic predisposition. And so that could cause somebody like me who, who banks on a variable factor, a controllable factor, if you're talking about the 5 to 10%, it doesn't matter what to do. So if a guy like him can get it and, you know. That throws you? A little bit, a little bit. It, it, I'm not, I, 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 would, I would say that I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing, which is trying to live my best authentic life. That means um, my, my diet, my lifestyle, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it does cause me to wonder, like, is it what the doctors tell me? Because that's another part in my book where I talk about when the doctors tell me bad luck, I want to smack them because it's like, really, man, you went to all those years of medical school to tell me luck. You might want to get a refund. Like, (laughs) seriously, like, don't, don't freaking tell me luck. Okay. I don't want to hear it. But, um, but yeah, so, but when I hear of diagnoses like that, I kind of go, huh, well, maybe it just is some bad damn luck. Okay. Yeah. Now what? But I ask myself this, if, if I could prove that it's luck, it's just the luck of the draw, would I want to be any different or would I want to take care of my body and, and be on this earth with these people that I love and adore as long as possible in the best health possible to do the best things that I love? That's a fantastic context from which to look at it. I was going to ask you if doing all those things was your way of maintaining some control in life. I think that's how it started for sure. Because like I said, recovering perfectionist, I mean, that is so hardwired. It is, it's, it's a daily, it's a daily swap. It's a daily swap in mindset because the default setting is always, (laughs) always, how can I do this? perfectly. Okay. Time out. (laughs) Let's just take it down a notch, Carol, you know? So anyway. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're on a uh, great trajectory. It sounds like it feels real good. It does. I mean, it, it definitely, like I said, I, I would not change this experience. I am grateful for it. Beautiful. Sounds like this is a good place to stop, yeah? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I just, yeah, I I wouldn't change it if I could. That's huge. When I say those words, when those words come out of my mouth, I think about lying on the bed sick from chemo. I think about my skin peeling off and bleeding from radiation. Um, Mm. You know, I think of all those things, and then I, I have to just sit there and go, really? You wouldn't change it, really? I mean, I guess I can't have one without the other because where I am feels pretty sweet. 
I don't know. Yeah, I love what my life has become. I love my life right now. I love myself. I really enjoy, you know, where I'm growing and who I've become. And, you know, cancer is very much a part of it. I've had cancer twice. And the second time I wasn't married and I was going through it alone. And thank God I'd learned to ask my community for support because my wife was a huge support in that. Because the second time I was by myself and I went to the Helping Hands website and emailed all my friends. I'm like, hey, like, can you come help out? Wow, that's huge. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to do this alone. Like, can you bring food over? Can you come sit with me? Can you, and I even said, if you have any, I'm going to be down in New York City. I have surgery this day, and then I'm going to be in the hospital after that. And if you have any friends, if you know people down in New York that wouldn't mind coming and visiting me, they don't have, just tell them to come say hi to me if they're up for it. I had, I had a complete stranger just come and talk to me and just have a nice conversation with me, and I loved it. That's huge that you asked for help. That is huge. You, you What's huge is what it took to get me there. Yeah, I'm no, the kind I, of person who does not ask for help. I'll do it on my own. No doubt. So I read this cool book, and it's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And this devout guy, you know, he gets into this accident, and he's, you know, in the hospital for a very long time. And he, he just he doesn't want to ask for help and this and that. And, and a pastor friend of his comes to him and says, when, when they get on the subject of him not wanting help and him not wanting people to come in there and, and feel like they have to be there for him. And he said, what if those people helping you isn't about you? What if it's about what they need? What if it's about what they need to learn, what God's trying to show them, what God's trying to manifest in their lives? And he's like, that would make you pretty selfish not to allow that. And it was such a good swap. Because I think so many of us don't want to feel like, like I know for me, I, I'm, I'm a very sensitive person. The, one of the upshots of, of the highly sensitive people is how thoughtful they are. So I'm pretty thoughtful and I'm not even trying to pat myself on the back. It's just one of those things. There's a lot of noise in my head because of how thoughtful I tend to be almost to a fault. Right. But I would think that I would not want to be a burden to others. So, you know, being able to let people help, is huge, Bert. I just think that's incredible that you were able to do that. I love that little story you shared from that book. What's the name of the book? 90 Minutes in Heaven. Ironically, in heaven. ironically, it's it's the book that started preparing me for this whole journey, this 10-year journey that I've been on. And I start my book that way. I, t I tell that story that mm. that that my um that my my journey began in of all places, a Walmart. And then I say proof that God has a sense of humor. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the biggest gifts we can give another person is accepting the gift they give to us. Mm -hmm. I have Fantastic. a friend who it's so hard to give him something. And if you give him something, he wants to give you something of equal, of equal value back. Yes. I'm like, what if he just take the gift and receive it? And say what if thank it's you. not and say thank you mm -hmm. and what we go through in life can very much be you know, it's like it's like we're such we can be such selfish beings so self-focused it's like mm -hmm. you know i'm going through this terrible diagnosis mm -hmm. what if that was to provide something for the rest of the world and what if you don't get to know what that is 
So that's got that's me thinking. The, I love that. I'm going to be thinking about that when we're done. That's where the faith comes in. You know, I talk about that too. Faith in the bigger plan. You know, that it, the scriptures say that, you know, our, our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. I mean, he, he sees it all, you know, he, let's, let's just say he saw me picking up that book, 90 minutes in heaven, 10 years ago and realizing that I might need to get over myself and ask somebody for help. Uh, oh, I see. So now I'm getting it. You picked that book up years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. 10 years yeah. ago. Like I, we were visiting my husband's family in another state and I, you know, it was like a vacation time and I thought, oh, you know what? We were, we were in Walmart just getting some provisions and I thought, gosh, I've been wanting to read this book. I'm on vacation. I'm going to grab this book and read it. And, you know, two weeks later when we got home, that's when I was diagnosed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Look at that timing. I mean, life is hard and we all, you know, do all we can to pacify our life with, with, alcohol drugs sweets greasy foods salty savory things you know whatever we can to like just numb some of the pain you know yeah yeah and uh i'm sorry a year and two weeks later i don't know why that just jumped into my head but it was a year a year and two weeks later okay it was it was almost a year to the date but it that's Mm. it's anyway it's a whole nother story but please continue and you know so i just want to say that it's It's something worth acknowledging when you are able to take that on because life can be so hard and so difficult. It can be real easy to not think of other people because we're already struggling. And when you're struggling and when you can think of others and imagine what your biggest struggle might be providing other people. I could also see myself getting a little uh, self-righteous about that one. Explain that. (laughs) Hmm? Explain that. Well, because then I could I could be important. Like, yeah, oh, I'm oh. providing something for people here. Right, right, right. Self-aggrandizing thinking. Yeah. Did I use I that mean, word properly? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's true. There's there's a there's a fine line. I, I I definitely I definitely see that, you know. Um But hey, that's a that's a wonderful uh dance to be doing. You know, if you were stuck in that thinking, if I was stuck in that thinking, okay, great. I'll sort that one out. Yeah. I'll grow yeah. through it. I mean I mean, I feel like I can get on my soapbox quite a bit with mm-hmm. this whole, with my opinions about, you know, cancer and cancer treatments and, and whatnot. And, and then, and then I remember when I get so like fired up about it, that I, I got to take it down a notch. I start getting that whole self-important, I got something to say kind of mentality, <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just do. Cause I'm so fired up about it, but yeah, I, um, something and worth I, getting fired up about. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that like, like, I just, I want to add this because I, I do think that it's really easy to get self-involved on this journey with a cancer diagnosis because, and this is the big part that I even have a hard time articulating because I'm not even sure how to explain it because there is so much about this cancer walk that is lonely you can be surrounded by people. You can be offered all the help in the world. 
You can have a loving spouse right by your side holding your hand, but they can't do it with you. They really can't, and they can't do it for you. And it's just isolating. It's isolating, and it feels very lonely. And, you know, again, with, I'm not, I'm not anti-support group whatsoever. I just, for me personally, as, as a sensitive person, I, I am very careful about what I let in. So if there's a particular support group that is just really, I don't even want to use the word negative because everybody's got to process their own way, but there's just a lot of heaviness. There's a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, doom and gloom. It drags me down and I tend to like maybe the support groups that I've found that are very like upbeat and, and just a little more positive because that's what helps me stay up and, and looking for the silver linings of things. Um, you know, that's just, that's just a personal preference. I mean, yeah, we don't, you might need to cut this out. I don't know. Cause you don't want to talk about politics, but you know, I quit watching the news after nine 11. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly like I'll, I'll get some headlines just to kind of know what's going on in the world. But, but I, I binged news for maybe two months after 9-11. And then when I would go back to the news, I, I couldn't do it. And, and I even had to start kind of picking and choosing some of the things I would watch, super violent things, you know, just didn't sit well anymore um, after 9-11. So it, mm. it's, just, it's just stuff that I'm, I'm aware of for me personally that affects me deeper maybe than others. I don't know. I don't need to cut that part out. What I'm hearing you say is that you are more mindful of what you allow into your mind. Like sure. the 100%. news, it, like, like if you're watching the news or listening to it or even reading it, you're providing access into your brain. Like I don't have cable. I have like Netflix and, you know, right. HBO. Like I don't. And if I'm at someone's house and they have a television on at someone's house, like covid times i haven't been at someone's house in so long I can't remember, other than my wife or my ex-wife excuse me my former wife um but i'm somewhere and there's a tv on there's commercials i'm like what in the heavens is going on with this like it's just funneling information into my brain yeah and i'm like no thank you i don't want i'm not i don't want you in i don't want you in here this is a precious space and like i'm not going to give this precious real estate to you yeah. I have my brain bombarded with commercials. And yeah. the same thing can go for the news because the news is also like, you know, how do you get clicks? How do you get people to watch? How do you hold the customer in between commercials? What do you have to say right before they come to commercials so that you'll keep them on, keep them viewing? For sure. It's like, ew. Mm-hmm. Ew. You it feels know. a little bit like being played all the time. <laughs> yeah. And are there great news organizations out there? Absolutely. And I... No, I won't get into which, but you know, there's a couple of them that I refer to because they tend to have the least dramatic headlines. I can't stand when I read a headline and I go, what? And then I <laughs> tap it and I read it. I'm like, dude, That's nothing was you about. wrote was even in that headline. <laughs> Didn't even, cl- you, you, cl- you wrote that just so I would click it. <laughs> yes. I'm done with you. And I, I have dismissed so many news outlets so many of them i am not going to say them but like there are there are only like three that i actually will refer to and then just recently i saw one of them just i saw one of their headlines actually i give them credit it wasn't in the headline it was in one of the uh in the third paragraph i was like oh my gosh you people just can't stop can you 
You just can't stop. This is why so. I just I just kind of gather a general idea of what's going on in the world. And that's just for me to just be aware. And, and this may sound really simple to, to some folks, but to me it's not. But to know how to pray, you know, mm-hmm. like because I do, I do care about the world around me and I do care about people immensely. And, um, and, you know, I say it in the book that, that prayer is my first line of defense, you know, that I, I, you know, a pastor used to say, a pastor that he's retired now, but he used to say, what are you actually believing in? Because you either believe he's God of all, or he's not God at all. Like, what are you really believing in him for? Is it this genie in a bottle, pray to him when you, when the chips are down? Or are you trusting in his plan? You know, are you trusting that that he he's he wants good for you? That's beautiful. I mean, that's that's the same approach I have when I have a little Buddha on my dashboard. Yeah. Like, like there's no dress rehearsal for life. It's it's not happening soon. It's happening right now. Like this is it. And not wanting what's happening to be happening makes it really hard to participate. Yeah. I mean, I talk I, I'm I, not I, saying don't don't try to stop something, you know, you know, you see a little kid running out in front of a car, grab the kid. I mean, you know, sure. right? but it means like the things that that seem to be out of our control. Mhm. Or having we, a boundary, like what is yours to to be involved in and what isn't. And again, like you said, you know, you see a little kid running out, obviously, you know, action is, is, is good. <laughs> I don't know for lack of a better word, but, but yeah, I mean, I even, I even address in my book that, that it doesn't like, I'm not saying, okay. I think that there are a lot of common threads in spiritual beliefs they just go by different names, you know, like, you know, karma and reaping what you sow and, you know, just um, all of those kinds of things have the same idea, you know, like, like you, you put out what you want to get back. You, um, you know, it's like, it's like I said, with the ripple effect of one little pebble tossed into a pond and, and, and in that, respect that even the smallest things can have great effects even even one one little stage zero to stage one or two depending on who you ask person can maybe change one life and then maybe that life could change one life and then that life could change one life I don't know. Yeah, you know, if we're going to be on this planet living this life, you know, just let, you know, have me be a vessel for good in this world. And it's a vessel that's got a dent in it and messes things up every once in a while and says something stupid it has to apologize for and goes off the road a little bit every once in a while. For sure. But Don't you know, all. but that's being a human being yeah. and recognizing that like you know I've said it many times like you know I'm a 1970 sedan Deville Cadillac mm-hmm. 
with with a dent in it. One door doesn't open so well. There's a headlight that goes out sometimes. The wipers aren't so great, and the muffler kind of shakes a little bit. And I'm not quite certain about what the steering wheel is doing here. And again, like I was born that, and I can't have myself not be me with all my flaws. But what I can do is be responsible for keeping it on the road, yeah. and for and and for doing the best I can do to be a vessel for love and for good. Absolutely. And for kindness. And and when I crash into somebody, be responsible for it. Don't don't do a hit and run. <laughs> like, yo, what I said to you was not cool. And yeah, it took me three days to like come back around and be like, I'm sorry, but you know. Yeah. No, I mean I am I am always the first one to admit when I've screwed up. But I also oh, don't I immediately stop say to get... no first. <laughs> oh, you do? No, no I, I didn't. Mean, I, I, I really, really am like super, I, 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 I'm cool with like apologizing and admitting when I'm wrong and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm very much in the, you know, like forgive and forget type of person. Or, or if you can't forget, at least you can take those thoughts captive and not let them control your life, you know? Um, and I, I mean, I say all the time, I'm a messy Christian, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that, that I, I mean, look at me with, you know, I'm, 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 I'm quite sure there's a few people out there that are going to be like, really this chick with her four letter words and her, you know, irreverent humor and her, and then, and then her, like her, her praying and her, her God quotes and her Bible quotes and whatnot. But I'm like, I'm living proof that God can take the most unlikely people and circumstances and turn them into something beautiful. I, I mean... Beautiful. I mean, here I am, you know, like just warts and all. So, <laughs> you ever heard of the uh, house for all sinners and saints? Mm, no, it is a church uh, led by Nadia Boltz Weber. Oh, okay, I didn't know. And she's like, Church is not for the saints. If we were, if people, if people going to church were all saints, we wouldn't need a church, right. She's, you know, she's a former addict. She's got tattoos all over herself. Mm-hmm. And like she, how she describes it, last time I heard her speak about it, and people, you walk into her church, it's just like, you're like, where am I? This doesn't look like church. Yes, I love it's that. It's like, nah, these are sinners. These are sinners showing up and saying, hey, God, like, what's up? Like, talk here to I me. Am. Yeah, here you I know, am. I, cause you know, I, I, we, we, there, there's this, uh, I grew up in that, you know, you, you can just sense it when, you know, I was brought to church as a kid. My mom was a minister, actually, for a while, hmm. and a Methodist minister. Cool. And uh, nothing, no one worse than the preacher's kid. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> I, I was in a private school all my life, and the preacher's kids were always the worst. <laughs> that was me. But, you know, you, know, you go to church, and, and there's this, there's this, there's, you know, you learn very quickly. You observe at a young age the, the way people hold themselves. And, you know, and I value like the reverence that we hold in the sanctuary, because mm-hmm. that's a sacred place. Sure. And when I went to church, like that was like, you know, I brought my son for a while after after my wife ended our marriage. I was just like, I need something here. I, mm-hmm. I you know, and I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I was born and raised Christian, so like I'm going back. And I found this minister. He was. We went to a Christmas Eve service, and he was phenomenal. And he would just keep bringing like. He'd read whatever from the gospel or from whatever part of the Bible it was from. Mm. And then, you know, and then he'd bring it into, you know, when you're walking down the street. 
when you're yeah. in the grocery store, you know? That's like my and, retired pastor, man. He was so solid. He just was the real deal. Just and it's, it was so cool and it was so valuable. So I went there for that. But I remember being younger and thinking, you know, so, so yeah, so I get the, the reverence in the sanctuary. This is like, you know, it, it's a sacred place. Mm -hmm. And there's no need to put on a front that you are this good and kind and proper person. You know, who inspires me? The person who stands in front of the church and lets, you know, warts and all be seen. Like, yeah, I messed up. I screwed up. Yeah. You know, that's beautiful because I can relate to that. I can't relate to perfect people. Right. So so my, my retired pastor would always, I, I want to say it was Brennan Manning that he quoted a lot. And this one thing he would say that resonated with me and that I, I have quoted many times is we are not who they say we are. We are not who we say we are. We are who God says we are. And, you know, God loves us. I mean, if you, if you believe the scriptures, he loves every single one of us. And so even a cool swap, I mean, without taking everyone to church here, but even a cool swap is when, you know, when you're really pissed off at somebody, um, he would always say, Think about how much, think, okay, so you think this person is just a, a bag of crap, right? And, and, but you know what? God says they're not, and God loves them just as much as he loves you. So what do you say to that? Hmm. And so, I mean, it's just, it's, it, if you can like, you know, for me personally, if I could stop myself in my tracks of being like mad at somebody and remember that God loves them just as much as he loves me. So yeah, if you're you know, willing to look at people that way. Like another way to put it, you know, from the the Buddhist teachers that I've been studying with, and you know, it, it's it comes from perspective of you know this person. I want to, oh my God, I'm so angry at them. Like <laughs> they are my guru right now. Mm. They are my guru. They are my teacher because they're. I'm learning to be patient, to be gentle. Like uh, they're all I need right now. I have a guest. I had a guest on the podcast. Her name's Bethany Webb. And I follow she, her. Hmm? I follow her. Yeah, and Bethany wrote the book, My 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 Guru Cancer. Yeah. Interesting. Like, what are you teaching me today? You know, and like anybody can teach me anything. Anytime I'm walking down the street, all I have to do, especially when I'm having a day where I'm feeling insecure, not feeling good about myself, how I know that is because I'm looking at everybody like they're assholes. Mm -hmm. They're the problem. Mm -hmm. And after I'm after I'm angry at the fifteenth person, maybe maybe it's down to ten now. I like yeah, buddy, you're not angry at any of them. You're angry at you. You're feeling unworthy. You're feeling yeah. like you don't want to be seen. Yeah. Like that's what's going on. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I love that, that there is a lesson in everything. I, I yes, am there just 100%. I mean, when I was, when I was driving to that surgery for breast tissue that they left behind and I was just staring out the window as we're driving and I, I was, I was asking myself, why me? Mm -hmm. And I was feeling pretty, I was having a little bit of a pity party, you know? And, and I, I saw, you know, I saw a homeless person on the side of the road and they had this basket and they had like their whole life was being lived right there on the ground. And that's the one that sticks in my mind. But I mean, I saw, several more things that kind of came slamming into my focus, if you will. 
and it stopped being why me and became why not me. And I like that. It was like, it was like, it was a very, very tangible conversation, maybe a one-sided conversation, which I don't typically have these kinds of things. I mean, my, my spirituality is a little less in your face and a little more quiet, I guess. And it just became this thing of, okay, here I am. I'm going to walk the path that you lay out for me. Just light it up and I'll go. And here I am. <laughs> just, I wow. It. I never would have thunk it, you know? I just... Yeah. It's amazing what, what, gets us, what gets us here and what is getting us moving forward. And when I was upset about my colostomy, I drove past a guy who was jogging and he didn't have his left arm from the elbow down. And my first thought was, I'd rather have this than that. Right, right. So now He might look at me and be like, I'd rather have this than that. You have no idea how, you know. But like, it's not that, that one is better than the other, but it's recognizing like, wait a second, like, holy perspective shift. Yes, for sure. So, but I you took it a step further to like instead of why me, like, how would you say like, why how not about me? me? Why Here not? Here I am. Me? Send me. Well, when I talk about how God prepared me like a year in advance, starting with that book, there were a couple of things, and like over that span of a year, I, I happened to be like uh, on the scene of two really horrific accidents where I was, you know, instrumental, like I kind of got out and I was praying for the individuals and just kind of having to be like uh, waiting for 911 to show up, whatever. And I, I live in this very rural area where there's a lot of winding roads, blind curves, dead cell reception zones, things like that. So this first accident was a, a woman on a motorcycle who was hit by a truck and she, her leg was hanging by a thread essentially. And mm -hmm. I am... I am squeamish, right? I I would have likely passed out. I almost passed out one time when I cut my finger really deep and it was kind of spurting blood with your pulse. If that just gives you any indication of normal me would have hit the ground and would have been laying right next to her, but I didn't and I was there and I was just praying with her. And um, I found out afterwards, the small town being what it is, that she lost her leg. Mm. You know, and then you flash forward like a few months and I end up on the scene of another accident and it was super weird. And, um, I got out and I was praying for an unconscious woman that I didn't know, but again, small towns. Um, I found out that she was like just this devote or devoted, um, woman of faith. She, you know, had like adopted children and she was just this pillar of just awesomeness. Right. Well, she didn't make it. She passed away in that accident. And, mm. Then when I got diagnosed with cancer and, or pre-cancer, but you know, cancer-ish, I like to call it cancer-ish and decided to have the mastectomies, it, it was much more doable because it wasn't a leg and it wasn't my life. And so when I, and here's, here's the 90 minutes in heaven tie-in is that I originally thought that God sent me to those women to help them in their time of need. But in the way that 
his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. He sent them to me also. To show me that, you know, they're just boobs and I can do this. Yeah. You know, like it's just, to me, that's, that's just, that's just stuff you can't make up. That is yep. just, that is the bigger plan if you're willing to, if you're willing to step out in faith and just, and trust, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's Deepak Chopra whose quote, I ruin every time I say it, where it's something along the lines of, you know, life provides us the perfect curriculum for what we need to learn. And when I'm looking at life going like, why is this happening to me? Because after the, my wife ended our marriage, I got diagnosed a second time. Then I was eventually cancer-free. That's when I got real depressed. Mm -hmm. But like during the second time, somewhere in there, I think it was during the second diagnosis, I changed my Facebook name to Job. So I was just like, really? Really? <laughs> right? Like, I think God. I hear locusts landing on my window. Like what? <laughs> In the heavens, what in heaven is happening? Right? I mean, and, you know, and it took me a while to just like, you know, just to get back to like life is providing me the exact curriculum that I need to be the truest expression of myself. And it's so funny, know, I went anybody could look at my life and be like, you know, actually, my friends told me they would look at my life, they'd talk to each other and be like, Mike goodness like why him right right yeah. but like from the perspective that you and i are talking about it's like because he is being provided an experience that's going to provide him an awareness that'll have him be someone in the world like you know me forgiving my wife and her actually then eventually asking me what is it what was it like for you when mm -hmm. i left you like i can't imagine what it must have been like for you it must have been so difficult Mm. And, and and I she asked me and I told her and she listened. And we both shed a lot of tears. And then when that kind of got quiet, I'm like, well, wait a second. What was it like for you to be a woman who left her husband and then he gets diagnosed with cancer a second time? She's like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, it's horrible. You know, and when we were apart and upset with each other, it's like, you know, nothing's horrible. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> and then we, we were laughing about that during our conversation. And, you know, I got what forgiveness was. It freed me. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, my, uh, I asked my friend, I go, I, go, I want to forgive her. Like, you forgave your wife. Like, how do I, for I, I don't know, what does it even mean? He said, try on that forgiveness is giving up the right to resent. Because I wanted to do it, but I didn't know what it was. So I said, mm. okay, forgiveness is giving up the right to resent. Mm. So I'm like, okay, what do I get out of resenting her? Mm. And, and, and it's so weird how it's, it seems so opposite that forgiveness is really for us and not for Absolutely. them. Yeah. It just feels so opposite. It, does, you know? it doesn't feel right. Yeah. But when, mm -hmm. when I saw that, oh, I'm not forgiving her because I, I'm going to resent her until she recognizes that what she did was not okay. Yeah. And I wouldn't even smile when I was outside because yeah. I didn't want her to see me smiling. So yeah. I would never smile out in public. And I'm like, oh, I'm resenting her. So she gets how important it is to acknowledge it, the fact that she messed yeah. up. I started laughing. I'm like, I am the last person on the planet who's going to get her to 
who's going to be able to hold something over her head and get her to change. Right. And in that moment, I called her up. I said, I forgive you, you know. And then working with my therapist, uh, 10 years later, I was forgiven myself. I love the analogy that unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm, that's a great one. I mean, because I would carry that around. I was mad at my dad for leaving for my whole life, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it, and it's just, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I trip on the parallels between you and me, and just, I mean, even our ages, and just I, the whole yeah. thing you described with your wife. It's definitely not a spouse, but I didn't, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I hesitate bringing it up, but my one of my closest friends, she was like an everyday friend, disappeared after my cancer diagnosis. I mean, we had a little thing where we had a disagreement and um, and instead of, you know, us getting over it like we did in the past, and, and I attempted, she just was done. And I just couldn't understand how somebody could do that to another person at that particular time in their life you know and but but I mean what I've come around to is that that relationship was not serving me there was there was a lot of like just codependency and just you know not necessarily a very healthy friendship really not a mutual growing nurturing just cool kind of kind of all the stuff I'm committed to um, it, it just wasn't going to serve me going forward. And I just had to kind of trust. I had, it's like one of those things where quit trying to pry open the door that, that God closed <laughs> type of thing, you know? And so I just quit trying to open it. And, you know, I, 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 a hundred percent care about this person. I, I think about them and pray for them and just wish them all kinds of good things. Like, you know, it's just, and it's very weird to have someone in your life every single day for 15 years and then just not have them there, especially when mm. you're going through a really weird, low, sad, freaky time. But um, I don't know that I could have ended up where I am right now with the daily influence of that relationship, the way that it was. So. Yeah. You know, some people can't handle I don't know if it's you're saying it's related, but some people can't handle their friend having cancer. I, I've wondered that, you know, like like wanting to believe the best because, you know, after 15 years, you know, I'm like this, mm -hmm. uh, this, this, what I thought I knew about this person is not capable of, of just walking away in this moment in my life. And so I just think, well, maybe it's just some weird not being able to deal and then being able to justify it with, well, she pissed me off and I'm done with that. Perhaps. I mean... You know, we like it's. I hear this a lot um, in the cancer conversations I have between coaching people and podcasts and just talking to fellow survivors. A lot of people have it that like people shouldn't do that. Like that person walked, that person stopped talking. Like, how could you do that when I had cancer? And my thought is, well, they're human, and we have expectations that humans wouldn't do certain things. And then especially after we've had 15 years of friendship and so much love and connection, 
And yeah, you said maybe there were some codependent things going on in there, but still there was the appreciation for one another. And there's an expectation that that person shouldn't do that. But if you look at the world, people do that. Like, I was like, you know, how could my wife have left me the way she did? And I'm like, dude, your wife did nothing compared to some people. You just see what people do when they leave each other. That shit happens all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> like, we have these expectations that people are going to be a certain way. And it's like, you want to know what you can count on people for? One thing you can count on humans to do is to break your heart. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you, if you, if you want to look at it from the, you know, from the biblical perspective of, you know, the faith that we, we grew up with, you know, that that we humans are created for this, for this relationship with God. And he is really the only, the only perfect love that we would ever experience. Right. And so people who maybe don't have that foundation or that, that spiritual awareness in their life, they keep trying to find that kind of love in the world. And it's never going to happen because there's not one perfect person on this planet. So they can never offer us the love that we truly seek in our hearts that, you know, and at least in my belief mm. system that I was created to, to crave. So we, we, keep, we keep holding people to these super high expectations of perfect love that they can never deliver on. So they are bound to disappoint us and hurt us and, like you said, break our hearts. Yeah, if you want to experience God's love, forgive people. Love yeah. them. My cool pastor, the one that I keep talking about, he said this cool thing one time in a sermon that I have literally taken to the bank. He said, it's easy to love the people you like. How mm -hmm. well are you loving the people you don't like? Because we're still called to love, you know? I mean, we're still, and, and by love, I mean, most people think like, well, I don't want that toxic thing in my life. No, I didn't say you had to bring that shit to bed with you. Right. But you treat people with kindness and dignity and, and, and love. You know, you don't have to to invite it all right up in your grill, but you can you can be loving. You can show love. You, you know, go compassion's easy when you're giving food to a homeless person or giving someone money. Compassion's not so easy when you are pissed off and feeling betrayed. Right. It's hard. And I don't say it. I hope I'm not sounding righteous. I'm saying like I have worked my ass off to have the relationship I have with my former wife. Mm -hmm. And I have. Hmm. Worked my ass off to have the relationship I have with myself. Yeah. Right. I mean, oh, same. really, really hard. And I, that's hear, what I'm saying. I, you know, yeah. I don't think I could have done that work on myself if I had that daily relationship. So, so I say codependent, like it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying that, that we had a lot of daily interaction to the point where maybe I would not have devoted as much time to working on myself. Had I had that distraction, that crutch, that, that thing, you know? So I'm just choosing to see the silver lining of that, even though it's a little heartbreaking and sad. Yeah, my uh, Catholic mother-in-law, she's my uh, former wife's uh, stepmom, but we're still close, you know? We, I, never, I never ended the relationship. I, uh, That's awesome. Love and family is important to me. And she yeah. would tell me when my head was like spinning, she'd say, you know, Bert, when we're alive, we look at life and why things happen like we're looking at the bottom of a tapestry. And it's all the crazy knots and loops that make no sense. She goes, and then we die. And we look at the tapestry from the other side and it all makes sense. 
She's like, you're not supposed to know why everything's happening. And you're not gonna. But if you can get that, it's far beyond you. You know, I mean, that's what I, that's, that's faith to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Faith isn't, oh, God's going to do good for me. I know God's going to do good for me. I'm like, you know, I got friends who died of cancer, and I don't think they were punished. You know what I mean? Right. People right. say, like, you know, oh, my friend was blessed. My friend was blessed. They stayed alive. I'm like, well, my friend wasn't not blessed. Right. Well, you know, and I even and, kind and of I don't know. I just want to chime in. I just want to say, and I don't know. So, like, I'm not saying that you're wrong saying your friend was blessed. I'm not saying that at all. Maybe no. your friend was blessed, but I'm also yeah. saying, but it's not like my friend wasn't blessed. Right. No, I agree. So, so that's why, <laughs> like, people when people maybe don't understand my faith in God and my my belief in the greater plan and all that kind of stuff, it's like I try to explain it. Like, you know, it's it's not he's not saying that bad things won't happen, you know, or, or that, or even like some people, well, he couldn't exist if these bad things happen in the world. Like, like what, what scripture says that, you know, that I believe is that he will use everything for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So if I am saying, if I'm saying, I believe in, in what you have for my life. I believe in your plan for my life. Even if I deviate, because I've got free will and I'm doing my shit over here and I'm doing the thing over there. And I'm not necessarily like, you know, doing everything the way God would have me do it. But if I say, Hey, I trust you. Hey, I believe in you. And he can take something yucky that happens and use it for the ultimate good of the people who love him. So in that way, I mean, he, and, and, and scripture even also says that he will grant us the desires of our heart. So I got cancer twice-ish, but I prayed to be a published author my whole life. And so he said, here is the desire of your heart. Mm -hmm. And then he also said, I will take this and use this for something good. Yeah. So it's going to help the next guy and maybe the next guy and maybe the next guy. Yeah, that's beautiful. We be, we were like, no, God, no, not like that. <laughs> right? Because we want to control it or we want to, Not like, you know, no, no, no. I, I asked for something, but I didn't ask for this. Why, you know, it's like, you know, Daniela, my son's mom, she'll say to me, she's like, you want to know what? We're not supposed to know how things are supposed to work out. She goes, I simply know that life is being provided to me exactly as it needs to be provided. She hmm. said, if I could actually have some say in how it should go to provide me what I need, she just screwed the whole thing up. <laughs> she goes, thank you for not letting me know because I'd get in there with my ego and I'd mess it all up. And I love when she said that. I'm like, yes. Absolutely. That's amazing. Absolutely. That is amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I love it. And I want to tell it. you, it's interesting. This two, I made a face when you talk about those two car accidents because within the 10-day period in like 2000 and, well, in 2010, in the 10-day period, I was on my way to work. And one day on the way to work, I saw a guy on a motorcycle who hit a truck. I'm sit, I'm, I'm like, dude, is there anybody, anybody we can call? I can call? He's like, yeah, call my mom. So I'm calling his mom, and I'm telling her, like, you know, your son's been in an accident. And uh, then 10 days later, I'm on my way home from work. And there's been a head-on collision. There's three teenagers in a car. This kid had his license for like a week, two weeks. I don't know, not very long. 
and he turned left and went head on into a little SUV. There's an elderly couple in there and I pull over and I run up and I'm seeing blood and hearing moaning and like, you know, there's no time to think about what I don't want to. And I start, I'm like, okay, has anybody called your parents? Yes. Okay. Next kid. Hey, someone called your mom. No. And he's leaning against the guard. I mean, these kids hit their heads hard. Like they, these poor things were messed up. Mm-hmm. And so I called some parents and let some people know. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always wondered, like, you know, why? Like, I don't need to know why. And I'm cool with not knowing why, but I still wonder why. And, you know, perhaps, Absolutely. who knows? And, and listening to you and speaking to you about this, it's like, you know, perhaps I provided something for someone in that situation. And it was just what they needed. Perhaps it's going to make a difference in my life 10 years down the road. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I don't always have to know, but it's just, aside from that, yeah, right when you told me, right like, the time. two, uh, the yeah. motorcycle and the truck, I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> of the synchronicities of our yeah, lives. right? I mean, just right place at the right, yes, yes, I know. I just, I, I kept thinking that. Like, you would just say little things. I can't even count them all, but I would just be like, yeah, I'm feeling a kindred too. spirit a little me bit. <laughs> I mean, we're the same age, so I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. We both were kind of raised in that same kind of time. Yeah. in history and just your birthday? you know anyway i don't know it is the oh, last you said. day of the year 1960 1969 yeah. 1231 69 so, yeah new year's baby right mine's mm-hmm. april 9th 1970 <laughs> okay so just a few years or a yeah. few months after wow is that your guitar yep. back there 70s your babies it, it, they're my kids, actually. I, I've tried in vain to learn, but I, I sing, I don't too, play, right? but I, I wanted to. Yes, and my kids play all of it. So, um, but uh, they're in college now, but they they oh. left them behind. And I've tried to learn both. I've tried to learn piano and guitar um, because I, I sing at church and I, I would like to understand mm-hmm. the musical side of it. And I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I just recently found out that my sweet spot is singing in a B flat and I didn't even know what a B flat was. I just knew there were certain songs that I sounded better in than others. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been playing guitar for a little over 20 years and I sing and perform with my band. I don't have a band right now, right? If I would perform it right now, it would be uh, um, like a storyteller performance. I write autobiographical songs and I'll sing so I'll oh, walk so people cool. through like my life experience and these difficult times I went through and the songs that arose. But like I've been writing songs and singing for 20 years. I play guitar. I just got a piano and I still can't read music. Really? Oh my gosh. And my friends like when I first started, you know, having a band because a buddy of mine was a bass player. He said, oh, we should jam and play some of your tunes sometimes. So we did. And he's like, these tunes are really good, man. We should get some people to play with us. Maybe start a band. I'm like, you think so? He's like, yeah, man. So we got a drummer and we got a, you know, backup singer and a league, a mandolin player and oh, all that's that fantastic. stuff. We got this, we got this band going. And people are like, and then as I started moving on, new players would join. They'd say, what key is this song? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> wow. This starts with a D. Bert, how is that possible? So wow. Because you, you, you're just playing chords with that one. Okay. You know, like a, a few chords that. and all of a sudden I feel a song and lyrics start to come or I, I, I hear some lyrics so I find the chords that match them and play it. And like, you know, some songs I write 
And one tune I wrote, you know, Prison City Love is what it was called. Cause it was, I was born on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I was raised in the East, you know, and I was like 10 years old. We moved from Ithaca, New York, which where I live now, which is a uh, progressive community. Mm-hmm. We moved to a conservative blue-collar town called Auburn, New York, and there's a maximum security prison in the middle of town oh. because the prison was built outside of town, but then the town grew. Oh, gotcha. And it was built, you know, a couple hundred yeah. years ago, so it's got... 40-foot-high, you know, concrete walls and guards towers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Wall Street is something very different in Auburn, New York. Wall Street is a street that goes along the wall of the prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wrote this tune about, you know, finding myself in this town and, and falling in love with it, which is probably more information I needed to share. But my point is, like, I found out that it's like, you know, the... the verses are in one key and the choruses are in another and I'm like I have no idea what what amazes me is how you cats can play your fiddle or your mandolin or your guitar banjo you know pedal steel mm-hmm. and and just follow what I'm doing because I have no idea what y'all are doing <laughs> so you don't necessarily need to know how to read music to play well I'm gonna keep I, I, I was learning. Not that you shouldn't read music. No, I mean, right. But I'd that's like what's really learn. hard. But I, I was learning <laughs> chords for the guitar and I might go back to it, but I was teaching, I was trying to teach myself guitar right before the di- the second diagnosis and then going through the mm. treatment and then publishing the book and trying to learn how right. I, you know, accidentally published a book, you know? I, 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 yeah, well, you can, you can start playing guitar yes. now and... Ten years from now, you'll be doing great. I would great. love it. I, in fact, that's on that's on my list. So beautiful, good. Tell everybody where they can find your book. Um, you can find it easily enough on Amazon. It's available in just about every um, every medium. So it's uh, it's available in paperback. It's available in Kindle ebook. It's available in audiobook. You, it's an audiobook. It I'll buy awesome. it. Awesome! Yay! Thank you. Are you the one who I, reads it? I want to. I, I honestly want to re-record it in my own voice just because I, um, you know, I would just like to. But I hired a narrator to do it because the learning curve was was kicking my butt a little bit as far as learning all that mm-hmm. new tech stuff. So I hired a professional. She's really good. Um, so, yeah, it's available. Um, so it, It's also available on other, like Barnes & Noble and, you know, all those places. But probably Amazon is the easiest place worldwide to buy a book, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> no, great. I, I try to buy books from Barnes & Noble and other book retailers. There is a app that I have called, I'm going to find this. It is called Libro FM, hmm. L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. And what the reason I have it is because... If you buy an audiobook through that app, you can choose the local bookstore that you want to buy it through. Oh, so that's the other thing. My audiobook is exclusively through Audible right now. I I okay. am going to at some point maybe make it mainstream um, or you know go wide if you will. But again, at the time the learning curve was such that it was super right. easy yeah, to upload it to sure. Audible and and I I went through a I went through a writing school that kind of helped me and they are very geared toward teaching you how to upload to Amazon in all formats. So Amazon makes it easier for easy for you. Amazon makes it easy for the listener. I just thought I'd throw it out there because it's such a I cool, wrote it down. I think it's, it's awesome. A, it's such a cool app because I 
I bought an audiobook. I, you know, I borrow tons of audiobooks from the library, yeah. a couple of different library cards, you know, and uh, I love audiobooks. So that's what I learned. I that's why I put it out is because I've learned that in this day and age, especially people are more geared toward audiobooks because we just have such busy lives. You know, and it's so easy for people just to throw it in in their car or maybe when they're working out versus sitting and physically reading a book or having to hold a book or hold a device. So I knew that I had to get that audiobook done. So it was done after the publication of the or the publishing of the paperback and the ebook, but I got it. I got it done because I knew that that it was going to make it a lot more beautiful. Friendly. Yeah. I love that. I've read maybe 20, 30 books in my <laughs> life. And I've listened to somewhere between 150 and 200 Wow! in the last wow. nine years, 10 years from listening to so audiobooks. So then you can answer this question for me. I have heard, and this is what swayed my decision, I have heard that audiobook listeners are a very particular lot, that they will dump a book that they are quite interested in reading if the narration is terrible. Do you agree with that? Disagree with that? Have you even had some terrible narrations that are like, oh, this is awful? <laughs> yeah. That's what swayed me to hire a yes. professional. Some, so, right. So even as simple as, you know, I started reading uh, a Song of Ice and Fire series, which is went on HBO to be Game of Thrones. Oh. And after I read all the five of the books... Then there's, you know, he takes a very long time in between books. And so I listened to them all again. And I got to book four, and the narrator was a different person. And I was like, uh uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. And I did some research and I found out that he had a different narrator because the guy, the original narrator, wasn't well. And after a while, the original narrator went back and recorded them for him as well. And I'm like, thank you. I will take that. And I listened to their, you know, I'm, I'm stuck on the first <laughs> narrator. So I listened to book four and five. In book five, he swapped the voices of two characters. I don't think, you know, Arya Stark and, and Sam, whatever the heck his name was, he swapped the voices and obviously he didn't do it on purpose, but nobody caught it. And that really bugged me. I'm like, how did Arya get Sam's voice? How did Sam get Arya's voice? What the hell is going on? <laughs> like, we pick up on these things. And if it's not a good narrator, it's, I, I think, you know, considering you had so much to learn and so much to do, the fact that you hired a narrator sounds like a great idea. Yeah, artist. well, we love it when the author, we love it when the author uh, narrates the book. And, I totally get you saying, like, I can only do so much. And I had to hand it to a narrator. Cause it, why? Because I wanted it to sound great. Because, you know, you can read. I had somebody, I had a friend, you know, before I just recorded the intro for every podcast, I had a friend record it. And every statement she made sounded like she was asking a question. And we told her, and she still couldn't really stop doing it. And it's like, it really takes something to know how to read well and speak well. Yes, and I wanted it out well, maybe sooner I'll learn than later. How to do that someday. And, and, and that's another thing. I don't feel that I'm a very fluent out loud reader. You know, not to mention, I, I, she has all the equipment she needs, access to a studio. I didn't have any of that. And so it just made it so much easier to, you know, get a professional to just get it done so that it could be available to people. But it's definitely on my bucket list because I just think like I've had a several people that, you know, people that know and love me. Right. 
be like, that would be a kick if you were the one reading it. That would be fantastic. And so I, I to be honest, like, I mean, there were little tiny things that, that I, I kind of had to nitpick a little bit. She's, she's not from the West coast at all. And so I kind of, I, I nitpicked dude and I said, okay, so we don't say dude, we say dude. <laughs> so she started laughing. She's like, okay, noted. You know, so there are just certain things that I would say the way I say them, just because I kind of have this rapid fire mm -hmm. way of speaking and, you know, yeah. but yeah. I, I think she's fantastic. She, she's very, you know, she, she's a professional. So she's got like, I don't know, five, six years experience or something. So she's, it's not her, not nice. her first rodeo. So I hope you enjoy it. I would really love it, Bert, if you would get back to me and tell me what you think of it when you do listen to it, because knowing that you are a very avid audiobook listener, that would mean the world to me to hear what you think. I will gladly cool. do that. Cool, cool. I'd love to give you feedback. You are a gem, uh, man. You are just, I just love what you're doing. You. Uh, thank you so much. It's such a treat to have this conversation with everyone. I'm loving this conversation with you. Thanks. It's been such a joy. We're definitely kindred for spirits. For sure, for sure. And, uh, you I know, just, we everything you, everything you say resonates in such a real way with me. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I feel so many parallels, I guess. I mean, that we probably yeah. didn't even cover in the conversation, but things that, you know, I felt like we'd just get off in the weeds a little bit. So I didn't go there, but just, yeah. Fantastic for just, wow. You're no, I got you. Yeah. We could, there's, there's clearly much more you and I can talk about. If you and I were sitting next to each other in a plane in a five or six hour flight, <laughs> oh my gosh, we'd probably talk the entire for sure. time. Never run out of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be great. Oh, well, thank you so much. I will give you feedback. People can get your book at Barnes and Noble and all kinds of other uh, book yeah. retailers. They can also get it on Amazon and they can get your audio book on Audible. It is called Chemo Pissed Me Off. And what's the subtitle? A Breast Cancer Roadmap, Navigating with Faith, Gratitude, and a Little Bit of Attitude. <laughs> and a Little Bit of Attitude by Carol <laughs> Wiley. W-Y-L-L-I-E. Yep. And do you want to give people your social media so yeah, they can follow? Sure. If they want to follow me, I am at the Wiley Girl on Instagram. And I have a page on that's with two yep. L. I have a page on Facebook called Wiley Girl Words. And that's W-Y-L-L-I-E. And I'm even on Twitter, even though I, I don't use Twitter a whole lot, but I'm Wiley Girl on Twitter. So um yeah. And there, there's a little story there. It's just, my husband and I, as I said, live in a very small town. We had two girls. We became known as the Wiley girls. He, he very sweetly and cutely got me this personalized license plate that said Wiley girls on it. And then when they grew up and got big and they were driving around with their license and all that, I, I jokingly one day said, well, we're not the Wiley girls anymore. We're just Wiley girl. And he replaced it with that. And so when I was thinking up cute handles for socials, that just, it just yeah. seemed like the thing to do. So there you go. <laughs> that's what that's all about. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. You yeah, just put in you. three hours and 16 minutes. That's crazy. I know it just, it didn't seem like that long, but thank you for everything. You, you are just, man, you're a gem. Right so, back at you. so grateful for what you're doing in the world, man. Oh, you too. You're welcome. All right, Bert, have a good Bye -bye. night. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast 
anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. If you'd like to support But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. Brought to you in part by the Cancer Resource Center of the Finger Licks, right here in Ithaca, New York. Learn more at crcfl.net because no one should face cancer alone. See you all in the next episode and thank you so much for listening. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of St. Kid. You can find him on social media as The St. Kid. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The host and guests are not medical professionals, and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.